Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Carro inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Happy New Year, everybody. We have a packed show today. We're going to list the top 15 business issues of the year, 2022, but not in any particular order. We're not going to mix them up, but we're going to let you decide which ones are top. I'm going to give them to you, and you can rank them if you want to. We also have in the middle of this a interview that we're reprising because of its significance. Nick Saban, probably everybody's best guess at the best coach in the history of college football, Bear Bryant notwithstanding, seven national championships, talking about him, his dad, Pop Warner, and the like. It's in the middle of this, but let's get started. The top issues in 2022. Sports betting soaring even bigger next year, $4.78 billion in revenue, already more than the previous full record, and we're only in three quarters, $1.68 billion in quarter number three, the highest legal sports betting in U.S. history, and it doesn't even include the World Cup, $1.8 billion in bets in the United States alone, and after Florida and California legalized sports betting, whenever that is, the floodgates will have fully opened, clearly a big issue. December, the month that saw some final streaming packages settled, U.S. Open tennis rights with Amazon's acquisition, Champions League right deal in Germany, the NFL and U2 seven-year deal worth a little more than $2 billion per season, and Apple and Major League Baseball, incredibly significant as well. But the bottom line of that is they don't reveal their numbers. Everybody makes a significant value proposition on this including the rights and including the revenues. NIL, really important as well. So, shifting to college sports as another issue, the third one, college sports never before the seismic shock, UCLA, USC, shocks the industry. On June 30th, they shift over to the Big Ten, and notwithstanding that, and not surprisingly, a mid $7 billion deal follows CBS NBC and Fox. The Big 12 follows with their own six-year $2.28 billion deal. The NIL stuff we talked about, $1.5 billion for NIL athletes in all sports, really significant. And oh, by the way, college football playoff in 2024, an amazing landscape seismic shift in college sports. Fourth issue, new stadiums agreed on in 2022 and beyond. Steve Ballmer puts up a billion, a hundred million CBA with the Inglewood City Council includes funding for projects such as Library Community Center, $2.1 billion deal in Nashville to build the new Titans Stadium, New York City FC having their own stomping ground, Buffalo with a billion four stadium using some of the gambling money we talked about to help fund that. What's coming up? The Sixers want a new arena, $1.3 billion. The Oakland A's, a $12 billion waterfront stadium complex. The Tampa Bay Rays. We'll see what happens, but it is clearly top of mind. That's the fourth one. 
the fifth franchises sold for tens of billions of dollars in 2022 across major leagues globally. In May, Premier League Chelsea FC sold to a group led by Todd Bewley for world worldwide record of $5.3 billion. Months later, the Walton Penner Family Ownership Group purchased the Broncos for $4.65 billion. Phoenix Suns and Mercury's sold to Matt Ishbia for about $4 billion, a record for an NBA team. Team sale prices only expected to rise. Forbes Sound in September report that the world's 50 most valuable sports teams were 30% more than they were just a year prior. Clearly more on the way. Sixth, Disney reverts to the old when the new wasn't worth working in a shocking change of events. The ESPN John Skipper stepped down in late 2007 and 17, and the recounted Wall Street Journal Iger's, uh, uh, Bob Iger swooped in a less than a year after Bob Chapik was involved and says, gambling, not gambling, maybe, but the ESPN 53-year-old chairman Jimmy Pitaro, seen as a natural successor to Iger, even speculation Disney's financial woes would force it to spin off ESPN, ending its 25-year corporate history under the mouse house. We'll see. That's sixth. Seventh. The 2022 World Cup may contribute $4.25 trillion to Qatar's economy. The FIFA event not only talked about the stadium issues and the tourist dollars, but reportedly spending $225 billion for infrastructure in the 11 years since winning the bid to host the World Cup. You can speak about all of the issues with Qatar, labor rights issues, uh, overbuilding, but the, certainly the transportation infrastructure are there for everybody to see. Number seven. The eighth issue, the Super Bowl continues to show its dominance in viewership, and it was staggering. February's Winter Olympics in Beijing nearly felt like an afterthought after one of the most epic sports calendar years. The Super Bowl at SoFi, seeing the Los Angeles Rams edging the Bengals 23-20, proved again why the event had the biggest gravitational pull in the U.S. Conventional metrics put sports viewership numbers at over $112 million, and the streaming services Telemundo and other NBC affiliates doubled the $5.7 million for last year's event. The 2020 edition of the game initially drew a viewership of more than $102 million across Fox's television and digital platforms. Look for more to come. Number nine, we'll talk about college football. Georgia rang in the 2022 New Year by taking down Alabama for the CFP National Championship, Stetson Bennett. The game averaged 22.6 million viewers across three platforms for ESPN, the second lowest rating since the playoff era began, was the most watched event on cable since the 19 CFB championship was the most watched non-NFL sporting event in the last two years. Before the season, TCU sitting at 201 odds to make it to the college football playoff. Now they could put together the ultimate underdog season. And we're doing this before the national championship game. Somebody who's not in it this year but has had a profound effect. We're going to stop and do the interview we did with Nick Saban. Born in West Virginia, Fairmont, celebrated his 71st birthday. He won the national championship with LSU, 
He's been at Alabama since 2007 after a two-year stint as Dolphins head coach. 2009, 11, 12, 15, 17, 20 with Alabama. The seventh uh, championship gives him the most in history and the first time with two separate D1 schools. But the interview we did is important because it talks about all of that and it's very timely. But also his love of Pop Warner, his love of youth football, his value of Pop Warner through his dad's eyes, and all of that really significant and so incredibly important. We're talking to Nick Saban on the heels of of many of his significant accomplishments. What may be his most significant accomplishment is the legacy and sustaining his brand well into the next few years. I give you Nick Saban. So Pop Warner football was a big part of your dad's life. Tell us what you remember about growing up in West Virginia and being your, your dad's son, basically. Yeah. Well, you know, I had great parents. I was very fortunate. But uh, any, any, anyone out there that their dad has been their coach, you know, that, yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's an experience yeah. in and of itself. But my dad actually started Pop Warner football in our area in West Virginia. And it was a difficult area because we had like seven coal mining towns that were up in hollows and the players had a heart. They couldn't get to practice because we all got around hitchhiking, you know. I mean, and if the shift didn't change, there wasn't much traffic. So um, a lot of them didn't play sports. Uh, They didn't have the opportunity to get some of the lessons, life lessons that you can learn from playing sports. So my dad bought this little orange school bus. All right, and it had all these quotes like it's you know things that would help you be successful. Like it's more important to be uh, nice than it is to be important. You know things like that. that Did were he just, buy the bus with the quotes on him, or he put them? No, on he them put them all on there. <laughs> uh, but we would go to practice. He would go pick up everybody in all these hollows, take them to practice. We would practice, you know, take everybody home. Take about forty-five minutes, and of course I was the first one on the bus and the last one off because. That was home. That was the home stop. He really taught us the importance of work ethic, investing in your time and something rather than spending it. Uh, You reap what you sow, perseverance, and how you have to continue to learn from your failings, uh, how to overcome adversity, you know, discipline to do things right. I mean, the, the old saying that I say all the time, you're going to suffer through one or two things in life, the pain of discipline or the pain of disappointment, that, that was on the bus. <laughs> it was there. <laughs> all right? So all these things go way back. Yeah. But the opportunities that that created, I mean, I know he had, uh, not a- outside of myself, three players that you know made All-American at West Virginia University and graduated from college and had a lot better lives, and, and they may not never have participated uh, if it wasn't for that. And and I'm sure that if you ask any of them, they would say, just like me, that a lot of those things that I learned playing, the value of athletics is really, really important to developing a lot of the characteristics that help you be successful in life. Pride in performance, overcoming adversity. I mean, all kinds of things as a competitor that makes you have a much better chance to be successful in life. Your dad instilling uh, important uh, values with you 
and the sayings on the bus, but how did he and Pop Warner impact how you coach, how you coached before and how you coach today? Well, I, I think because I started at an early, early age and the importance was always on fundamental execution. I mean, we, we, we won a whole bunch of games in a row. Like, I can't even remember how many. We didn't win any the first year, but after that we won them all. Uh, and, but all, the emphasis was always on fundamental execution. How well you block, how well you tackle, um, and it was technical. You know, you had to technically do yeah. it correctly, yeah. which was the safest way to do it too, which yeah, was right. important. All right, so, and to this day, you know, with all these schemes that everybody runs and RPOs and spread and this and that and all that, we're still always talking about fundamental execution. You know, if we can block better and we can tackle better and we can do the fundamental things more correctly, play better as a team, play together better as a team, um, execute, you know, I mean, that's what we, they preached, you know, to us. Because we didn't probably have a whole lot of plays. You know, my sister's here because she has a grandson that goes to our camp, yeah. you know, right now. Yeah. Uh, and she has the playbook. It's simple, yeah. pretty simple. But, but we won on execution, and I still believe in that. Well, and, and the interesting thing as far as the dynamic of Pop Warner even today and building the brand, it's, it's standing for consistency, certain values, safety as well. So you said safe. Talk about that for a little, for a little while. Well, you know, we've, we've actually done something here, and we have a camp for young kids, 8 through 12, I think it is, where most people just have high school camps and try to use them to recruit. We're really trying to promote our game. But we're also trying to develop coaches. And one of the things that we've done in this young camp is we bring in a lot of Pop Warner coaches. We invite a lot of Pop Warner coaches to come in. And the primary reason is is we want to teach them you know, some technical aspects that will make the game safer for the players. Uh, and tackling is a big one. Uh, you, know, you know, we teach near leg, near shoulder tackling, not hitting with your head. Yeah. All right, well, that's really, really important. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I think it makes the game safer. I think there's a lot of ways that you teach drills, all right, where players don't have to be on the ground, all right, and they can use their their hands rather than their head right, to minimize contact. Uh, and, I, and I think a lot of these things are really, really important. Um, most players that get hurt in football get hurt on the ground. You know, somebody's rolling around on the ground and somebody else falls on them or whatever. So to stay off the ground and teach people how to stay up. Um, th these are all things that I think promote safety in the game. And, and I think the biggest mistake that we make in football is you don't have to have full contact to be able to get the benefit from the game. Yeah. You know, there, the, the, you, you can go out and, and practice seven on seven, uh, you can practice routes on air, you can practice one on one, uh, you can practice a lot of things and get a lot out of the game of football without having to have contact. And, and I think there's uh, certainly uh, been a lot of studies done yeah. on how much contact young people before they're 12 years old should have. Yeah. Uh, and I think we should all uh, take all those things into account and uh, we are going to do everything we can to promote better education in the coaches to teach the players 
safety in our game. As opposed to the politicizing, give up football, I'm not allowing my kids to play, it sounds like the secret sauce is the education early on. Well, that's, that's what we believe in. Yeah. Uh, because I think football is the greatest team game that there is. Yeah. And um, I don't think it's a dangerous game. Uh, but I think that it can be if it's not coached where people are doing the fundamentals correctly uh, and, and not putting their players in positions where they're going to get multiple you know, head banging I, that could, you know, promote, you know, issues. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that we have to do that to have a good game. And I don't think you have to do that to be a good coach. And there's a lot of these old fashioned bow in the ring type drills mm -hmm. that have no place in football, yeah. right, that nobody needs to do. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that uh, we want to get as many of these coaches here and try to show them a better way, uh, that they can be more effective in their teaching progression and actually create more safety for the player. Let's talk about the better way off the field. The Knicks Kids Foundation, what you've done with Terry as far as some of the issues, not only the capital improvements, but the tornado relief in Tuscaloosa. Talk about all of that from your perspective. Well, you know, that goes back to my dad too, yeah. uh, because he didn't just pick these kids up yeah. uh, in that bus and take them to practice. You know, he sort of adopted them all. All right, so when their basketball blew up, he took them to town and got them another one. Yeah. Uh, when the, the rim at the church wasn't shootable yeah. anymore, he got them a new one. My mom always said, if you ever have the opportunity, you know, your dad's legacy was to help young people. You know, do something to do that. So Nick's kid stands for Big Nick, not Little Nick. I'm Little Nick. All right, but Miss um, Terry, uh, and the people who support Nick's kids have done a phenomenal job of, uh, I think, being able to create uh, a lot of positive things in our community. You know, we've done the 17 for 17, which is 17 homes that uh, we've rebuilt since the tornado for every national championship. And our players have contributed to each one of those homes. You know, we have day, player days where they come and work and uh, they give back to the community as well. We've uh, given over seven million dollars to um, children's organizations in the southeast um, over the last you know ten years. Um, you know we, we we do first generation scholarships, uh, community center at the church. Um, we're building a juvenile a school with the the juvenile delinquent center. Um, to promote education, graduating from high school, and teaching a welding trade. So these guys aren't repeat offenders. They have something they can do in the community. So um, all these things give us tremendous positive self-gratification by giving back, helping other people. Um, don't really feel much that we do that makes us feel better than we when we uh, help someone else. And you know, my dad's old saying was, no man stands as tall as when he stoops to help a child. So um, that's what we tried to carry on, and um, we're going to try to continue that in the future. And we certainly thank all the people who have supported Nick's kids. And the first scholarship that Pop Warner ever named after a person specifically was Nick Saban's scholarship. And it's not you, it's your dad. It's my right? dad. How does it make that's you feel? That's, that's great. It makes yeah. me feel great yeah. because it's. Uh, it's all a part of his legacy, you know. It's all the things that was important to him, um, and I hope that 
you know, people appreciate and remember that. How do you make sure that your kids, you recruit and have an obligation long term, do the right thing, say the right thing, behave the right way off the field as well? Well, um, you know, our whole goal in the program here is to help our players be more successful in life uh, for having been involved in the program. So, you know, their thoughts, their habits, their priorities, the choices and decisions they make are going to go a long way to helping them create value. And that starts with the kind of person that they are, um, the kind of character they have, the kind of integrity they have, um, the kind of trust uh, you can have in them. Uh, and that all comes from uh, the basic values that we try to establish that they have to buy into to really play and be to the standard as a person, as a student, and as a player that we would like for them to be. Um, we try to create a culture of accountability for them to do that. Um, but I'm very pleased and proud with the success that we've had. But those same things, just so everybody's clear, uh, I had the opportunity to learn when I played Pop Warner. And I think that's the one thing that everybody should really, really focus on is if we don't have these kind of sports opportunities for our young people, where do they learn these things and what they do now? And, um, you know, in some cases, you know, kids don't even play outside anymore. Yeah. All right, but they will go outside for organized activities. And I think these organized activities, the commitment, the work ethic, the discipline, the focus, uh, all the things that you, you mentioned are really important. And where do you get that if you don't participate in something? You're on the greatest leaders in the history of the world list from Fortune Magazine. It is kind of interesting. How much of that was intuitive? And how much of that is just learned from heroes and history? And you know, where does that all come from? Well, I think it started when I was young. And I think it started with the lessons I learned from my parents. Yeah. Uh, they had a high standard and high expectation. Uh, but they also had tremendous compassion for other people. And it was always instilled in me that uh, you need to set a good example. You need to be somebody that somebody can emulate. Uh, that was the expectation. But there was also an expectation there that you have to care enough for other people to help them for their benefit. And the combination of those two things, I think, is the start, fundamental start of being a leader because those two things are really important parts of being able to impact other people. And it was always about just do it for one person. I think a lot of people think leadership has to be a group dynamic. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's the power of one. It's one person affecting one person who affects another person, and then it just grows. Uh, so I think it started at an early age for me. Uh, and then I think I was really fortunate that I had some great mentors, you know, my high school coach, Earl Keener, Don James, my college coach, okay. fabulous, you know, example of what you needed to do to be successful and to be a good leader. Um, and so I feel very, very fortunate with those opportunities and then the opportunities I had as a coach to impact other people in a leadership position. And... Um, that's the one thing that I think I'll miss most about coaching is not being a part of a team and not being able to lead and impact other people. 
uh, when the day comes that I can't do this, which I hope is not soon. You're a leader, you're a businessman, you're a philanthropist, you're a coach. How do you balance all of that? You know, I think all those things are just a part of who we are. I mean, Terry and I both. Right. Uh, and she does a lot of the work. Um, I just do a lot of the fundraising. <laughs> you do more than that. Okay, so. <laughs> Don't minimize it. You do more than that, okay? So, uh, but, but, well done. But, we're going we're to save this. We're going to give it to Terry. She'll see it. Yeah. She'll love this. So, but it is what I believe and what I want to do. Yeah. It just is hard to implement from a time standpoint. And she's a great partner to do that. And we have a lot of other people who have been very supportive from that side of it. But I've always remembered that this is my day job, all right? This yeah. is the real job, being a coach, having great relationships with the players, you know, recruiting good players into the program, bringing good people in the organization and helping them develop uh, to be successful is going to help us be successful. And um, we've always stayed focused on that. And we've been fortunate to have good partners, whether it's Terry and Nick's kids or, you know, Joe um, Agressi, my partner, mm -hmm. and, you know, some of the businesses and other folks that they manage that, you know. I, I, I don't take my time to do that um, because my priority is this program and our players and that's what we're gonna stay focused on and um, then we're gonna build a team of people to help us do the other things that we believe are important to the community and um, to our overall welfare and well-being of our family. It's kind of fun to end on this. So Minka Fitzpatrick writes a kind of farewell long letter. He says, thank you, Alabama. And he said, I chose Alabama because I wanted to be at a place that would push me to become the best version of myself I could possibly be, and man, did it ever. You read something, and you hear something like that, and I'm sure it makes you proud. No doubt. I mean, it really does. And that's what we want for our players. We want them to have a great experience here, feel like they've grown as people, uh, and that they have a better chance to be successful in life on and off the field. Um, and um, I think Minka probably is one of those guys that will be a tremendous ambassador because yeah. of the experience he had here. And I think that's a basic fundamental part of having great tradition, which has always been something that makes Alabama special. Well, as you continue to go through the maelstrom of college football as it evolves, you don't need me or anybody else to say this, but just stay the way you are. Thank you very much. Thank you, Appreciate, appreciate it very much. Thank you. Clearly, Nick Saban, very important and will continue to be important. Proud to have him involved in, in, in all of the things that we're doing, interviews, books, etc. Tenth issue, as we go to the 15, involves a retired legend as well. This one's retired. The other one's not yet. It's Coach K. Duke current turns to John Shire to usher in a new era of success. Mike Krzyzewski coached his last game this last year, a fabled run of 1,202 wins and five NCAA national titles over a span of 47-year career. The game of basketball has been forever been shifted by Coach K and the 2022-2023 season. The first where he can enjoy his game as a fan, he helped me with the sports business handbook, wrote the foreword I will never forget. Coach K, number 10, number 11, Brittany Griner's long-awaited trip home, the talk of the nation. Traveling to play for a Russian club basketball team, she was detained and found with hash oil at the airport on February 17. It's incredible. It's been since February almost 12 months. August 4, she was sentenced to nine years in prison 
And after years of discouraging news, on December 8th, the U.S. Uh, reached a, a deal exchanging Victor Bout, the arms dealer, returning him to Russia. And Russia has their own uh, problems uh, going on, so getting BG back was clearly a top priority. Complain, not complain. She is an American. She's home. And that's a great story. Number 12. Tennis legends Roger Federer and Serena Williams bid farewell to the sport that they dominated for so long. 2022 saw the retirement of two legends, the U.S. Open, the Serena retirement during that first week, drew the most tennis viewers in ESPN history, 4.2 million, peaking at 6.9 million. And meanwhile, on the men's side, Roger Federer played his last professional match in a team doubles alongside longtime rival Rafael Nadal. His career comes to an end after a dominant 24-year run on the tour. As for Serena, as of 2022, she had made prize money earnings of $94 million, but that's not that relevant compared to off the court. She made more than $350 million in endorsements since turning pro in 1995 and her $450 million in career earnings is the top among all female athletes, with Maria Sharapova a distant second at an estimated $325 million. That's number 12. Number 13, speaking of retirement, Lionel Messi and Argentina win the World Cup in epic fashion against France. 2022 saw the World Cup head to cutter, epic finale. Messi wins the Golden Ball, tournament's best player fitting resolution for those who many consider the greatest soccer player of all time. Many consider him winning the World Cup, the final straw to end the discourse over who was the greatest between he and Ronaldo and Messi. Messi thrived off advice from both Pele and Maradona, and the World Cup seemed to be an homage to them both. 14. Cristiano Ronaldo signs the largest contract in the history of professional football. 37-year-old team captain, a free agent after leaving the major British club Manchester United following a dramatic fallout with some of his management. Al Nasir contract reportedly seeing Ronaldo taking home more than a million per week. The club founded in Riyadh in 1955 is only the only one of the club's that's won nine Saudi Premier League titles and is the oldest club in Saudi Arabia and will now uh, struggle potentially to maximize Ronaldo's awareness, but clearly uh, it is a big deal for someone who deserves it. Finally, speaking of Saudi money, Live Golf comes up and stiff stirs the pot with a strong and brash 2022, and look, 2023 looks to be even more interesting for them. Live Golf backs into the new year on the back of its groundbreaking maiden campaign. Uh, uh, Greg Norman uh, may or may not stay as the circuit's CEO. He's been at the forefront of all things Live in 2022. Figure like Norman undoubtedly needed to get the contentious breakaway series off the ground. But now that they are going, the question is, can the PGA Tour and Live coexist with maybe maybe not as far as Greg Norman being involved. One huge step in building bridges would be the Augusta National confirming that any live player who qualifies for the 2023 tournament will be eligible to compete with no banning orders put in place, unlike the PGA Tour. 
and that's 15. There are a lot of others, the sports technology industry, eSports, the NFT industry, the Nike growth women's sports. There are <laughs> too many to mention, and obviously you have to make a decision. But no matter what, 2022 has been an incredibly bountiful year. 2023 may be even bigger. We'd like to thank Nick Saban for giving his time and his perspective. We'd like to thank Nick Nielsen and Kalik Kazire for helping us put this together and this this uh, earth-shattering show and uh, all of these issues heading into 2023 will give us a preview of 2023 in the not-too-distant future. But for now, Sports Professor Rick Haro inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Thanks for listening and watching. Speak with you soon. Mm-hmm.